Oh. Good morning, family. How are we doing on this rainy? Like we said, anybody ready for spring? I like basically nod my arm off the other day because I'm ready. No, I didn't. But I'm ready for spring. I'm ready to be able to get outside and kind of get through feeling claustrophobic and, and tied up and all that kind of stuff. So, hey, if you're visiting this morning, we're going to take an offering right now. As Lauren said, that's not intended for you. So please let that pass you by. Uh, your offering is being here with us. And if you want, you can fill out the Connect card. Give us a little bit more information about you. We won't show up on your door with bread, I promise. I promise. That'd be really funny just to do that one time because people would be like, you said you wouldn't do that. Anyways. Hey, if you're visiting with us, we're in the middle of a series that we are entitling um, Life on the Vine, where we're looking at a series of scripture in the book of John, one book out of 66, a couple chapters, 14 through 17. And we're trying to have a series that's a little bit different in what we cover and a little bit different in what we experience, a little bit more reflective, contemplative in this series of Lent as we prepare to celebrate the life um, and death and then the resurrection, namely, of Jesus Christ. And so if you're here this morning, that's where we're at in this series. Over Christmas, my in-laws, I love my in-laws, and so my in-laws were trying to get my son a gift that would not require batteries. So if you've been a parent or you are a parent, you can appreciate this, right? You're like, if you have something that isn't constantly making noise and driving you crazy, you can appreciate that. And so they bought this pretty cool, like, um, robot type thing. It's like eight robots in one. You use all the same pieces, but you can make eight different robots with the configuration, with the parts contained. And I was taking this puppy apart and, and trying to get all the pieces. They all come in like, you know, those squares with their, their, they're plasticed in and you have to take them out. And so I'm twisting every single one of them and about every third, like scraping my hand and I let out this, ah, and I went on and I looked at the reviews and they're like, yeah, it's really hard to get apart. I'm like, you think, but anyways, I appreciate it because it doesn't require batteries. And so how this puppy works is it's got a solar panel top and that goes with any of the eight different configurations for the robots. And then it's powered by solar would be the sun light or artificial light, too. And so I, I worked, literally took two to three hours to get all the pieces. And then I noticed on the instructions that there's like a scissors thing. And I'm like, sure enough, yep, that's me. Get them all done, and that's what I could have done. Anyway, so I get it together, and I had a lamp, not like this lamp, but a lamp you'd have in your home with a shade, right? And I, I turned this on and put the solar thing next to it, and I could get probably about this close, and it didn't work. And I'm like, are you kidding me? I spent all this time putting this robot together, and the thing doesn't even work. But then I was like, wait a minute, maybe if I unscrew the top of the lampshade, take the lampshade off and I can actually get it closer to the light, this will work. Because it was one of those stretches where you don't see the sun for like three years and so you had to use artificial light, right? And so I did it and it worked and my son was excited, I was excited, you know, we were excited because the sun hadn't come out and didn't come out a long time after that. But I got the robot to work. We're not too different than robots, we are, but in this sense, we were designed, we were created to live not in close proximity to the physical sun, not in close proximity even to light, but we were created to live in close proximity to the true sun, the son of God. And when we do that, just like the robot, we work and do what we were designed to do, which is to bear fruit 
for Christ through Christ. Another way to say that is by remaining in him. This morning, we're going to look at that passage, John 15, which deals with that topic. And we're going to answer the question, how do we bear fruit for Christ? How do we bear fruit for Christ? So if you want to turn with me, John 15, I think it's on 750 in the Bibles under your chairs. Otherwise, if you've got your phone or you've got your own Bible, it's John chapter 15. Go ahead and look at that as we answer the question, how do we bear fruit for Christ? This is part of what's entitled the vine and the branches. Verse 1. I am the true vine and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. Well, every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You're already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me and I will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in in me. So to understand the imagery here that Jesus is using, I want to draw this out. This isn't rocket science. This just makes it more clear when you can visually see it. So you've got a vine, you've got the vine dresser or the gardener, and then you've got the branches. So we've got the father here. And what does the text say the father is? Who is he in this? He's the gardener, right? And so use your imagination. I got a C in cartooning, but this is the shears or this is the pruning shears, whatever you call those things. I don't even know because I don't do it that much. That's what the father is. What is the son in this? I heard someone say it. He is the vine. That's Jesus. What does it say we are? We're the branches. Okay. This is us. Father's the gardener, the son is the vine, we are the branches. And this path, I mean, what Jesus is trying to get across in the big point that we're going to make this morning, I said we're going to answer the question, how do we bear fruit for Christ? The only way we can bear fruit for Christ is by remaining in Christ. The only way we can bear fruit for Christ is by remaining in Christ. And we'll talk about what we mean by that in a minute. And this passage has been debated for a long time. What is he actually trying to say? And here's why it's been debated. If you're a gardener, if you prune things, if you are the father in real life to plants, shrubs, whatever, you'll know that you have branches that bear fruit and you have branches that don't bear fruit, right? And what do you do with the branches that don't bear fruit? If you're unlike me, you have an apple tree that I just want to have for shade and it's going up to the heavens and I never prune it. What do you do? You cut off the suckers or the branches or whatever that aren't bearing fruit because they're going to take away energy from the rest of it. And yet this is similar to that, but it's a little bit different in that the branches that the father cuts off because they don't bear fruit in this particular passage, it appears that they never really were part of the vine. They looked kind of shiny, spiritually speaking. They looked moral. They looked good on the outside. But somehow they missed the most essential part of being a branch. And that in this is the vine. Jesus Christ. They totally missed him. Think Romans chapters 9 through 11 here when it's talking about the, G- uh, the Jewish people. If someone can, um, yeah, get that for me. And then, you know, someone who has a BB gun, we're going to bring that next week. And we're going to put that guy out of its misery. So anyways, sorry, I just, that light is a running joke. It's just killing me. Father, help me to focus and remain in you. Amen. All right. 
So as Jesus lived for, for three years on the earth, as he lived for three years on the earth and he performed miracles, he healed people, he claimed to have authority to forgive sins, he broke the Sabbath and kind of these other religious rules, uh, who were the ones who Jesus continually took issue with and who continually took issue with Jesus? Do you remember? Who were the ones? The, the Sadducees, the, the Pharisees, those who were religious. And conversely, who time and time again did Jesus continue to extend grace and, and mercy and love and forgiveness to and even befriend? The tax collectors, the sin, sinners, the unworthy, the, the unwanted, those who didn't have any power, any prestige, any clout. And see, this is why in verse 1 it talks about Jesus. It says he's the true vine. You notice that word, he's the true vine. Throughout the Old Testament, there's this metaphor of the vine being the Jewish people. And what they were supposed to do is they were to take the love and the grace and the mercy that God extended to him, the blessing that God extended to him, and then they were to give it away. They were to show what God was like through how they interacted with each other, how they interacted with God, and how they interacted with the world. And yet by the time Jesus comes around, Jesus has a cousin named John who goes by the name John the Baptist, who dressed kind of funny, did different things. And he calls these very people who were to show God, show people what God was like. He calls them a brood of vipers. And last time I checked, I haven't seen that on many Hallmark cards, right? You go in the section and you're like, happy birthday, brood of vipers. You don't see that. He calls them a brood of vipers. And by the time we reach John chapter 15, we see that one of Jesus' closest supposed followers has betrayed him over to death by the religious and societal leaders, Judas. By his fruit of handing him over, he showed that he never really followed Jesus. And Judas was a picture of the Jewish religious leaders who were a picture of the Jewish people at large. And that's why Jesus says here that he is the true vine. He's the only one who ever would or will follow God perfectly, submit his life perfectly, do only what the Father told him to do. And that's why he's the only one through whom we can bear fruit. The scriptures are amazing in how they kind of weave all this together around the hinge point, the center point of Jesus. Look at verse 3. In verse 3, Jesus states, you, plural, which means the 11 followers minus Judas. He says, you're already clean. You're already followers of me because of your belief in the word that I have spoken to you. And because of that, God's plan for growing them To become more like Jesus in their everyday lives is to prune them. In pruning them, they're going to become even more fruitful. Because the only way that a Christ follower, someone who follows Jesus, can bear fruit for Jesus is by remaining in Jesus. And let me let me just go back because I forgot something in my notes. It was probably the light. I saw the light, whatever. Anyways, I forgot. So when we talk about bearing fruit, I think we can think about it in two ways. One way we can think about it is our character becomes more like the character of God. Our character becomes more like the character of God. The fruit of the Spirit in Galatians chapter 5 is talked about as love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Oh, there's a song that goes with it. That's what we can think about. We can think about that our lives and how we interact with other people becomes more 
representative of the character of God, the fruit of the Spirit. Another way we can think about it, though, is the byproduct of that is as we personally change from the inside out and become more like Jesus, we're going to help others change and become more like Jesus, too, who are going to help others change and become more like Jesus, too. Followers helping others follow. Disciples helping others become disciples. When we notice this passage, who is the actor? Who is the pruner in this? This isn't a trick. You've already answered it up here. I think someone answered. I'm just going to tell myself someone did. Who is the one who's doing the pruning? God the Father, right? And here's why this is really important. He is the actor in us becoming more like Jesus. He is the only one who can allow us to bear fruit for Christ by remaining in Christ. And I want to take you through an example of what this looks like, hopefully to give you a real-life, everyday example of, I guess, in, from my own life, what it looks like not to be like Jesus, and then how I'm trying to work backwards to become more like him. This illustration, this particular illustration, some call this root to fruit. Um, others might call it, you know, kind of looking beneath the iceberg, the iceberg the top of it you see there's so much below other people jesus might say get to the heart of the matter rather than just looking at the external actions getting to the heart so think about the fruit of our lives what we do being shown and this winter i had a conversation with my wife that that kind of went something like this um i don't remember exactly how it went but the essence of it was you were kind of a big jerk a little bit ago You were really rude to me. And I wish I could say differently, but sometimes when my wife or someone else confronts me like that, I'm a little bit stubborn, I'm a little bit hard-headed, and I try and excuse why I wasn't really what she said I was. Okay, But then usually what happens is I'll go away, and as the Holy Spirit thankfully, mercifully does in my life, I'll go away and I'll think about it and I'll pray about it and be like, you know what, you're right. (laughs) you're right, I was rude in that situation. So we had a conversation where the fruit of my life was that I spoke in a manner that was rude to her. Now, if we were just thinking about spiritual growth in general, I might say, you know what, I really got to try not to be rude. Next time, I'm just not going to be rude. I'm going to do it. I can do it. But usually what happens is it doesn't work. Just thinking that I'm going to try harder to focus on what I do doesn't produce something different than it did before. So what I've been trying to learn to do is to look beneath the hood of my heart, so to speak, and think about why do I do what do I do rather than just what I do. So I was rude in a conversation. What was I believing about myself in that situation? In, in, in essence, why did I do what I did? Well, I was believing that I needed to be in control and i wasn't in control and so therefore what the way i thought to be in control was by being rude here's what i was thinking if i just communicate clearly enough which i felt like i did then life will go as i want it to go life will go as i expected to go life will go the way i thought it should go how well does that always work Right. It doesn't. But that's what I was thinking. I was rude because I thought, you know what? I want to control this situation by just communicating clearly. And if I do, life will go the way I thought that I was believing about myself. The lie 
that I was in control. If that's true, though, what I was believing about what God had done for me that wasn't enough was I was believing that it wasn't enough. Jesus's perfect life wasn't enough to allow me to not be in control and not be rude. His sufficient death wasn't enough to allow me to not be in control, not be rude. His victory over sin and death and resurrection wasn't enough. His currently praying for me at the Father's right hand was not enough. If I reflect back on that, what was I thinking? I was thinking, really, subconsciously, he needs to do more. (laughs) I need more from him in that instance in order to obey him, in order to love my bride, my kids, etc., not be rude. Because he wasn't in control. Why? Life didn't work out the way I wanted it to. And this is a really silly, mundane example, but that's what most of life is, is silly, mundane examples. So what was I believing about who God is in that moment? I was believing that he was out of control. I was believing that he was not trustworthy. I was believing that he wasn't great, so I needed to be great. I need to be in charge. I need to be in control. And ultimately, I was believing he wasn't loving. Now, lately, I've been trying to learn to work down this passage from the fruit of my life to the root of my beliefs, because that's oftentimes what makes the difference in becoming more like Jesus, I've found, is because usually if I focus just on the fruit and try harder, I'm just like the false vine, the Jewish people, the Jewish religious leaders, focusing on the external rather than examining my heart. So now we go back up the other side. This would be what we would call repenting. That word repent means a change in our minds that produces a change in our lives. It's not just changing our lives, okay? What do I really believe about who God is, though? I do believe he's in control of everything, everywhere, all the time. I do believe that I can trust him. I do believe he is great. I do believe he is loving. How do I know that? Well, I see it, and I saw it. In the person of Jesus, he says, Jesus says, if you know me, you know the Father. And Jesus took my need to control to the cross. This is going to be good news for some others of you, too. He took my need to control to the cross so that I could give up control, so that I could fully trust that he's in control of everything, everywhere. Then, in in result of that, who am I? Well, I am not in control. And I can yield control to God. Ultimately, what fruit is that going to produce? Well, it's not going to be rudeness. It's going to produce peace. It's going to produce patience and communication. It's going to produce loving others, even if or when I don't think that they deserve it. Why? Because I can love others because Jesus first loved me. I can be patient with others because Jesus is still patient with me. I can have peace despite my situation because through Jesus I can have peace in any and every situation. So if we look at this, this is going from the fruit of what I did all the way down to my lack of belief, my lack of right belief, 
right belief and then producing a different fruit. Here's what I want you to notice about that. I didn't say I just need to be less rude. I just need to focus on not being rude next time because that, at least in my life and I think in many of our lives, doesn't work. It just treats the external. It just treats the symptom of the problem. Family, as we seek to reflect who Jesus is to a watching world, so often we do what the false vine, the Jewish religious leaders, the Jewish people by and large did. We, we try and make the outside shiny. We try and change the outside, become more moral, become more this, become more that, but never examine the heart beneath the action, the root of our belief beneath the fruit of our actions. And I wonder if we do that because in our culture, whether in the business world or just in spirituality too, we love to be able to measure things, don't we? We love for people to say, oh, that Ryan, he's a pretty religious guy. I actually don't want you to think that. But most of us, we'd say we want to think that they're pretty religious. We convince our own hearts that we love God because we do X, Y, and Z for him. Too often we're content with a facade of religious activity rather than really knowing and remaining in the person and the power of Jesus Christ. I was talking with a friend the other day, and they were talking to me. We were talking about how God is working in each other's lives. And they told me something that's really profound. He said, yeah, you know, I'm I'm not trying to um, work on these things that I know are not Christ-like in my life. I'm not just focusing on them like I talked about being rude. But rather what instead is I'm asking God to change me and allow the fruit of the Spirit to be shown in my life. I want to be more loving. I want to be more kind. I want to be more patient. I want to be, you know, uh, faithful. I'm asking God to change me. They were seeking to allow God to change them to be more and more Christ-like by showing the fruit of the Spirit. And what he was believing was what verse 4 says, that the only way that we can produce fruit for Christ is by remaining in Christ. Now, just so that you don't misunderstand what I'm saying, if we talk about remaining in Christ, if we talk about becoming more like Christ, if we talk about God pruning out the areas of our lives that don't look like Christ, I'm not saying you have to do this in order for that to happen. I'm not saying you have to run every sin through this grid. Some of you would be overwhelmed and be like, take out, right? That's not what I'm saying. What I am saying is that rarely in my life do I examine why I do what I do to such an extent where I get to the lies that I'm believing about God or about myself in hopes to change. There are many ways to remain in Christ. And I'm going to mention a few here as we wrap up uh, that I think are essential in order to remain in Christ so that we can bear fruit for Christ. The first one is this one. The first one is this one. The scriptures. Okay, if you think about remaining in Christ, who's the key in that remaining in Christ? Who do you hear about that's in the Trinity when I just said that statement? You hear about Christ, right? Where do we learn about who Christ is primarily? I've just been convicted about this lately. Maybe it's because I've been in like the book of Numbers and it's hard for me to get Jesus out of there. Even though I, I know I'm supposed to, it's, it's been hard. We learn about who Christ is through the scriptures, We learn about his great love. We learn about his great compassion. We learn about how he stood up to the religious establishment and showed great courage. We we learn about his great mercy. We learn that he does the miraculous. We learn that he's the creator of the heavens and the earth. We learn about Christ through 
the scriptures. But we don't just learn about him. We relate to him. Right? You and I, we don't read these scriptures just for informational purposes, just to know about Jesus. We read these so that we might know him. So that in the same way that you would spend time and develop a relationship with your spouse, so that in the same way that you would spend time and develop a relationship with your kids or a friendship or a coworker or a family members, we spend time in the scriptures so that we might not just know about God, but that we might really know him. Dave talked about it a little bit last week. Through these scriptures, the Holy Spirit uh, affirms to us who we are in God. Through these scriptures, the the Holy Spirit convicts us of where we're not producing the fruit of the Spirit, the fruit of Christ. Through these scriptures and spending time in them, we continue to grow and be reminded of the greatness of our God in the personal work of Jesus Christ. We continue to relate to him. So one of the most essential ways that I know, and I keep coming back to the same things year after year, week after week, month after month, but I can't get past them, is spending time in the scriptures to relate to God, the personal work of Jesus Christ. And I know, because I talk to many of you and I talk to other people, that sometimes people look at this book and they're like, this is super intimidating. I mean, where, where would I even start? Do I like put a fan on and be like and then just open it up and start? I mean, how do I read it? What's the point of doing it? Where do I start? How do I do it? Because a lot of times we haven't been shown. If that's where you find yourself, if you're like, you know, I I, I do desire to learn about God and I do desire to relate to God, but I have no idea how to do that because this thing is huge. I have no idea where to start. I have no idea how to interpret it, any of that. We have people who have done this for a long time here in our family. And if that's where you find yourself, where you would like to know about God and learn about him and relate to him, but you have no idea where to start, you're in good company because that's where a lot of people are. Okay, you're not alone. If you would like to learn how to do that, myself or others, I guarantee would love to teach you at least how they do it. There isn't a right way and a wrong way either, but there's ways that people could teach you how to do that, to relate to God. Because one of the most essential ways that we can remain in Christ to bear fruit for Christ is by spending time in the scriptures. And a second way that I think is essential, and maybe this is as intimidating as the first way, maybe even more, but is prayer. Okay, relating to God through prayer. And when I say prayer, I don't necessarily mean just talking out loud to God. I was just, we we pray before the gathering every Sunday, and I was just telling someone, I rarely, unless I'm with people, pray out loud to God. Maybe I should, maybe I shouldn't, I don't know, I just don't. I, I, I converse with him in my head, I listen to him, internally but rarely unless i'm with others do i pray out loud but prayer is also essential for remaining in christ i mean think about it think about if you're married and you don't talk with your spouse your connection your intimacy your relationship friendship whatever you want to call it is not as strong as if you do talk right it's no different with god You know, prayer is talking to God, listening to God, um, relating to him as you would relate to a real person with a real personality. He says that we can cast our anxiety on us, on him, for he cares for us. It's crazy to think even Jesus right now is by his father's right hand praying for you and for me. That's mind blowing. That's mind blowing. He wants us to converse with him. He wants us to listen to him. He wants us to relate to him through prayer. Again, 
this might even be more intimidating than picking up this book. You're like, I can pick up this book and I can open it up and I can read it. But prayer, I'm like, I have no clue. I have no idea how to do that. Again, how I learned to pray, I think if I were to look back, how I learned to pray is just by doing it with others. Right? Just by learning and listening to them and see how, it's, it's interesting, as you listen to people pray, you can, you can see how they relate to God. It's pretty cool. But you learn how to pray, you learn how to read the scriptures, you learn how to remain in God in community. So I'd encourage you, if you're like, I don't know how to pray, join the club. I don't know if any of us know how to pray, we just give it our best shot. We try to relate to God, we try to listen to him, we try to um, love him and remain in him through prayer. A third way that I think is helpful if we're going to seek to remain in Christ, remain in close proximity to him, is through family. God didn't ever intend reading the scriptures, prayer, living for him, living on mission to be done solo, exclusively. He never intended it. That's why he gave this thing called the church. Church is not the steeple, it's the people. It's the family of God showing everybody else the power of God. We need each other. Whether it be, you know, dialoguing and and discussing what we're learning about God and, and relating to him through the scriptures, whether it be praying with and for each other, encouraging one another. We need the family of God to remain in Christ. Again, think about if the only time you see family members is on a family reunion once a year or something like that, you're not as close to them. But as we consistently see each other, because we're family, spiritual family, we we can grow together in remaining in Christ and thus bearing fruit for Christ by remaining in Christ. We need each other. We need the scriptures. We need prayer. We need each other. I could get these applications every single message. But we do. We need each other to remain in Christ. No, sing, no one of us is strong enough to consistently remain in Jesus solo. We need each other. So, family, this Lenten season, as, as we continue to seek to learn about the person and work of God as we continue to seek to reflect on his goodness to us in Jesus, as we continue to seek to contemplate a life lived with him, through him, for him, my prayer would be that he would show us where and how we are remaining in him and that he would encourage us in that. He would show us where and how we are not remaining in him and he would encourage movement towards that, that he would give us courage to remain in Jesus so that we could bear fruit for Jesus through Jesus. Imagine the impact that even a group like this could make if together we sought to consistently remain in Jesus. Imagine how your work environment would be different. Imagine how our home environments would be different. Imagine how the groups that we're a part of would be different. Imagine how our parenting of our kids would be different. Imagine the difference it would make if you and I together, not just this Lenten season, but indefinitely, sought to remain in the person and work of Jesus. That's the Father's desire for us. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that um, your son Jesus is worth it. We thank you that in the same way that as that robot I showed, when it was in close proximity to the light, it worked. When we seek to stay in close proximity to your son, Jesus Christ, the light of the world, the the true son of God, 
that, Father, we work as we were intended to work. Our lives become more like him. We love our spouse differently. We parent our kids differently. We engage in the marketplace differently because it's not about us. It's about him. So, Father, I pray that as we continue to worship you through reflecting, through um, music, we pray that you would just continue to um, both, I guess, convict our hearts where we need to start seeking to remain in you and affirm our hearts where we need to continue to seek to remain in you so that we can bear fruit for Christ through Christ. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.